Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like Well, good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday, the 24th of August, 2022. If you missed the first hour, you can go and catch it later at MyFaithRadio.com. You can always download it and listen to it from the Faith Radio app or wherever you get your podcast. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, like, why not? Why not? Go ahead. Subscribe today. Um, And the podcast will be available for you whenever you're available to listen to it. So um, the multiverse, the multiverse, Uh, we've talked recently about the metaverse, right? Um, We haven't talked much about the multiverse. I'm not sure we've ever talked about the multiverse. It's this idea that our universe is just um, one of many and that there are um, many, many millions of universes. And so we just really won the cosmic lottery Um, by ending up in the one universe where everything worked together um, so that life would exist, life this complicated. So if there's an endless number of universes, then supposedly you can explain um, the fact that we are alive and that this works in all of its perfect intricacies um, by happenstance, by chance. Like if you throw the cards on the floor enough times, then, um, you know, they will order themselves in in perfect, I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable to me. It's an untestable scientific explanation of how things are the way they are, but that is the universe. I mean, the, the multiverse, excuse me, that's the, uh, that's the multiverse idea. It relies on string theory and all kinds of other um, complex philosophical and scientific ideas. It is the question that has plagued many people, and it's, a, it's the question of the reality that is. So how do you deal with the reality that is? That's really the question that the multiverse is trying to answer, or that's how the multiverse is trying to answer the big question of all that is. And so um, I read an interesting article that my producer, Paul Perot, teed up for me, why the multiverse is a God of the gaps theory. It's at the big um, And I think it comes down to this. There's this false assumption that everything requires an explanation. There's a false assumption that everything requires an explanation. So let me just ask you. Do you think everything requires an explanation or are you comfortable with a little bit of mystery? Are you comfortable? Are you humble enough to acknowledge that there are things that we don't know um, and maybe are at this stage unknowable? I mean, for the multiverse, the, the question, the problem is the problem of the first cause. 
And so you either have to answer the, the problem of the first cause with God, the fine-tuner who fine-tuned everything, right? The supernatural cause. Or this untestable scientific explanation, which they have come up with, which is string theory and then the universe. I mean, the multiverse. To explain the reality that is, which is this very fine-tuned. So they want to explain it without a fine-tuner, essentially. So I would just bring this into the conversation. We have the gift of the knowledge of the supernatural cause because God himself has revealed it. And so into this question of everything requires an explanation, there is an explanation, and the one offering the explanation is actually the fine-tuner behind the fine-tuned universe. So it's really just a question of whether or not you accept or reject what God has said about himself, what God has revealed about himself in creation and then ultimately through Jesus and the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So when we talk about God and the gaps, or when we talk about the multiverse, or frankly, when we talk about the metaverse, I think for the Christian, the challenge is how do we authentically get God into the conversation? How do we meet the questions that people are asking? People who who would say everything requires an explanation and offer to them the God who is, who produces the reality that is. I don't need a scientific explanation if I have a revealed one. How about you? We're going to talk with Heather Zeiger next. She's our now our resident uh, science, yeah, science smarty pants, exactly. She's a freelance science writer um, out of Dallas. She's going to talk with us about um, NASA's rocket to the moon, returning to the moon. We're also going to talk about the water crisis and impending nuclear disaster in Ukraine. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is back. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen. All right. Talk with us about Artemis One, the rocket to the moon, why it matters, and uh, I don't know, what excites you about it? Yeah. So this is NASA's uh, new space program that they're eventually going to get manned flight, uh, manned spacecraft back on the moon, something they haven't done since the 1970s. So the idea is that I think their goal date is something like 2025 to have a manned spacecraft land on the moon again. So what's going on here, I think scheduled for August 29th, is they are launching a new rocket system. So this is kind of this mega rocket that they have designed. And then it's their Orion spacecraft, which is built to hold four human beings. This upcoming trip is unmanned. They do have uh, a really cool... um, model. It's like a mannequin, but with all of these sensors so that they can make sure and test out this whole system, which is the point of this upcoming uh, trip is they're going to launch this new rocket system out of Florida. 
takes about a week to get to the moon. It's going to orbit the moon for about a month and then return back to Earth. So pretty exciting for um, for people that are into, you know, outer space, moon landings. Um, part of the program, so kind of the downside on this program, it's over budget, behind schedule. Uh, it's hard for politicians to get behind it because, you know, there's lots of other pressing things. But it's an important component of the uh, space and science and technology competitiveness in the United States. Um, NASA is kind of rebooting their program. So part of it is competing with private companies like SpaceX, which is owned by Elon Musk, and also other countries like China who have been um, upping their game with their space program. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of ethical um, conversations that we could have. Um, right. Will property be available? Um, I mean, you know, can SpaceX right. take take people up? I mean, I, and movies have been <laughs> movies have been exploring these questions in ways that um, maybe uh, maybe common folks have not. So maybe we'll hold those conversations um, for a later date and get to something back here on Earth. Can you talk with us about what's going on? Um, with water, not only here in the United States, but around the world? Yeah, so a lot of us are dealing with drought. I'm in Texas. I'm in North Texas. So we have been dealing with our own drought. And now we're dealing with flood because when rain falls on dry land like that, it, the water, the land doesn't absorb the water. So, um, but the Colorado River has been drying up. Um, that's saying it in kind of extreme terms the water level has been decreasing for the last 23 years. And so this is a concern. And just to orient people who are listening, you know, the Colorado River is hitting, um, goes from Colorado, Utah, through Arizona, border of California, um, and into Mexico. So this is the whole Colorado River Basin. The river supplies all of these places with fresh water. Um, the Hoover Dam was built as a reservoir to um, help provide the fresh water. So it's a big deal that the water levels are decreasing. And a lot of this has to do with just higher temperatures and less rainfall. And so the federal government has said that all of these states in the Colorado River Basin need to decrease their water consumption. With um, And I read the statistic and I thought, well, this is why Arizona's upset about this. Arizona was asked to decrease their water consumption by 21%, which, I mean, of course, that's that's a, that's a lot. So uh, they're, mm -hmm. they're, pretty, they're pretty frustrated about this. Um, you know, as someone who lives in a, a state where we have annual, we do have annual drought conditions, and um, some of those are worse on some years. You know, there are times when you do have to practice good water conservation habits, and that's that's part of good stewardship, right? Um, I think the big concern right now is just how drought. You know, some of us live in places where you'll have occasional drought, but now you're seeing like this year and the last few years, especially you're seeing it a little more pronounced. Um, we're seeing drought conditions in Europe that they have not seen in a while. Um, China just. The federal government in China just declared a drought emergency or nationwide mm -hmm. drought alert. The Danube River is really low. The Yangtze River in China is really low. Um, you're seeing like in the Danube, you're seeing some of those ships that the Germans had intentionally sunk in at, at towards the end of World War II because they didn't want the uh, didn't want Russia to get a hold of their technology. You're seeing um, some islands that you usually don't see some old islands in China that you can see those because the river levels are so low. Uh, so, you know, so this is a big concern for people. 
whatever you believe as far as the causes of some of these changes in climatic patterns, as Christians, I do think that we can address some of the humanitarian issues, like where places are having drought and they're, uh, you know, uh, not growing as much food, but also doing our part to conserve water. Mm hmm. Um, I want to talk with you about um, a pipe dream, maybe pumping uh, water from the Mississippi. And I also want to talk about, like, you know, what about building desalinization plants? But those conversations have to wait because we um, got to take a very, very brief break. So we're going to ask um, Heather Zeiger, can we just pump water from the mighty Mississippi west? Or maybe can we build desalinization plants on the along the west coast to water California? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with our um, smarty pants science girl. She probably has a really fancy title, but Heather Zeiger uh, loves to explain um, to me things that I should probably already know. Um, so let me ask this, Heather. Can we just pipe water from the Mississippi West? So I think that's interesting in theory. Uh, the problem is our our environment, our ecosystem is very intricately designed and everything is interconnected. So you take water from, say, the Mississippi River Delta, so around Louisiana, and you pipe it over to the Western United States, and you're going to have a ripple effect in just the ecosystem, um, the amount of silt that is deposited on the coast of Louisiana, which is actually very important for a number of other things. So you're basically, create, you're trying to solve one problem, but you're creating another. So as much as, as, much as I like the, um, the generosity and the cleverness of that idea, uh, it, actually, it actually is not, it's not feasible just because of how complex our environment actually is. Okay, we talk about the complexity of um, of the environment. I want to talk about the nuclear situation in Zaporizhia, which we are hearing a lot about in the news related to Ukraine. But I'm also reading um, about nuclear power pr plants across Europe going offline because the water is getting too warm as the rivers are, you know, getting uh, lower and lower and lower. And so talk with us about um, nuclear power and just, you know, some even some general comments on it can be a great power source, but we got all kinds of things going on um, in terms of the threat of it as well. Yeah, so this kind of bridges our two topics here because um, drought and water levels and warm water is a problem. So France has some of the uh, one of the largest nuclear power plants and they had to uh, turn off some of their reactors because water is necessarily necessary to cool and slow down and control that reaction. And so part of water conservation and part of conserving energy, because you have to cool down that water, um, means that they just needed to turn off some of their reactors. Um, 
this isn't this isn't a horrible thing other than you need you want them you want them to run so you can supply energy so um as far as the nuclear reactor so uh, the zaporia plant has been one of these things that's just been in the news since the beginning of the invasion of ukraine because this is one of the largest power plants in the world and when russia took it over so they're kind of using it as a base of operations and obviously Ukrainians don't want to fire on a power plant. So this this is one of those where people are very concerned about the safety of a power plant in the middle of a combat zone. And look, mm-hmm. statistically, you know, our, we have 92 nuclear reactors in the United States. I looked this up on um, the government website, energy.gov, I think, and 440 reactors worldwide. And for the most part, this is actually a good alternative source of energy. You can create a lot of energy to provide people with electricity. It does not create fossil fuels, uh, or it doesn't use fossil fuels, so it does not create greenhouse gases. So this is something that a lot of people see as a good alternative source. Um, But the problem is when there have been accidents, there were um, some major catastrophic accidents in the past. And of course, that's on people's minds. You know, um, thinking about Ukraine, so there was the Chernobyl accident, which which uh, Ukraine was part of Soviet Russia at the time. But there was Chernobyl, Three Mile Island in the United States, and then um, I think more recently uh, Fukushima in Japan. And these mm-hmm. these were all major accidents that were not in the middle of a combat zone. So this is this is where people are concerned about these about these things. Okay, so, this is a complete. Uh, can I ask a completely different topic? Because we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk with you about whether or not I lay on my right or my left side um, after taking medication um, can affect how quickly it enters my system. Okay, this this is fascinating. So, um, again, Heather Zeiger's with us, and she's explaining all kinds of things that I should have already probably known. This I did not know about my body. So, this is this is extraordinary talk talk with us about body posture and um its effectiveness or potency in terms of which side i lay down on yeah so this is a neat experiment out of john hopkins university um it turns out that if you lay on your left side when you take a pill it could take um more than 100 minutes to dissolve so what you want, whenever you take medication, you want it to dissolve, it goes through your stomach, and then it does not actually go into your body until it leaves the stomach and goes into the intestines. So if you're on your right side, it takes about 20 minutes or so, um, maybe even less. On your left side, it could take up to 100 minutes to dissolve. So it turns out, and then laying on your back, it takes about the same as on your right side. So it turns out this has to do with the way your stomach is designed. It's the way your stomach is situated. And anybody who has, um, you hear this from people who struggle with acid reflux at night, and they're like, oh, well, you know what helps is if I lay on my left side. And it's because of the way that your stomach is positioned in your body that uh, actually the what's in your stomach does not quite go to your intestines until uh, it takes longer on your left versus your right. So, and so what's crazy. interesting... Yeah, and what's interesting about that experiment is um, they figured this out having to use like fluid dynamics and engineering to replicate the stomach. And I uh, I feel like that that just demonstrates 
uh, the ingenious design of our digestive system, right? Because they're having to use all these mathematical models and engineering in order to replicate what it just is inside all of our bodies. Mm. It's extraordinary. It's so cool. Um, and as you note, Heather, it's it's just another example of how ingeniously designed we are right down to, you know, the intestinal level. So, hey, thanks as always for joining us. Um, Heather Zeiger is a science writer. She's based in Dallas. You can uh, check out what she's working on and what she's writing at heatherzeiger.com. You can also visit with her at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. When we think about um, incarceration, when you think about people who are in jails and prisons in the United States, what do you think that number is? How many people do you think are incarcerated in the United States? Two million. Two million people incarcerated in prisons and jails in the United States of America. Do you know one of them? Do you know someone currently incarcerated? Do you know someone formerly incarcerated? Two million uh, people in U.S. jails and and prisons is a 500% increase over the past 40 years. So not only is our culture rife with crime, which we do talk about, and our criminal justice system not working equally for everyone, which we also talk about, um, we have to acknowledge at some point that what we're doing is not working. And yet we seem to be slow to implement change that would really prove redemptive. So Prison Fellowship has been on the forefront of this conversation, not only here in the United States, but globally. And Prison Fellowship works with a range of partners in a conversation about changing the whole way we do this. What would restorative justice look like working in prisons and through prisons that the process might become actually one of correction and repair and not just punishment and despair? What would it look like to um, have a holistic approach so joining us next to cast the vision for restorative justice is Jonathan Derby. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Jonathan Derby. Um, he works with Prison Fellowship International, and he's joining us today to cast a vision and invite us into restorative justice. You can find what we're talking about and resources related to it at restorativejustice.org. Jonathan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you very much. Good to be here. All right. So what's the problem you're trying to solve, and then what's the vision? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem... I guess, or I don't know if it's a problem, but really the vision that we're trying to cast is a different way of looking at justice. Um, restorative justice really sees justice as healing. And so generally when we're, when we're responding to crime, traditionally we think of justice more in a retributive approach. So crime happens when someone breaks the law and justice requires punishment. And generally from this paradigm, this more retributive paradigm, three questions are central. What law was broken, who broke the law, and what is the punishment? But as we know, you know, crime is more than law breaking. 
when someone commits crime, it's, you know, people are hurt. It breaks down relationships, it breaks down our families and, and even communities. And so restorative justice is a paradigm that looks more at the harm, right? And so three different or set of different questions are central in this paradigm. What is the harm? How do we repair the harm? And who has responsibility to repair the harm? And really, kind of when you talk about vision, what I, I really love the idea of this idea of, of shalom. And really, biblical justice draws us closer to shalom. So many people think of shalom as peace, but really it's much broader than that. Shalom is God's vision for his kingdom on earth here and now, where we're living in right relationship with God, our neighbor, and creation. And so when Jesus prays, your kingdom come on earth as it, as it is in heaven, he's praying for a kingdom that reflects the shalom, that, that vision that God wants here on earth. And restorative justice or justice should bring us closer to this vision. All right. So I appreciate all of that, Jonathan, and I understand that. And then there's people listening right now who are like, okay, there's real people in real gangs breaking into real houses and um, hurting real people and stealing real stuff right now in real communities across, uh, you know, the real United States of America. And so I think that part of um, the challenge is understanding that what you're talking about is at the identity and belonging level so that people can have a different kind of hope and understand themselves completely differently. Like this is a transformation of a, of a person from understanding themselves, seeing themselves as a criminal in a gang with no hope other than that criminal lifestyle and, um, and belonging to a group of people who are like-minded to actually seeing themselves differently. So when you talk about restorative justice, you're actually talking about a restoration of the identity of the person and giving them a new vision for understanding themselves, their worth, their value, their belonging, their purpose in life. Am I right? I mean, ultimately, it starts there, right? It, it starts with a, a change for the person, that person kind of taking off the old clothes, putting on the, the new clothes or the new self. And so that change in identity is important. And that's, that's an important aspect of it. But from that there also needs to flow from a very practical perspective, these broken, dealing with the broken relationships mm-hmm. that have occurred from the crime as well. Mm-hmm. And so taking steps to first understand the harm that you've done, that's an important part of restorative justice, is really understanding the harm that you've caused, not only to your the direct victims, but also to your family members, to other people in the community, and then to take active steps to whenever possible, as much as possible, to make things right or to bring healing and repair into those situations. And so, yes, it starts with that inner transformation, no doubt, but it's got to move beyond that and impact the relationships or the harm that's come about from any, you know, behavior that has caused, you know, caused harm. So talk with us about... Um how the experience, how you envision the experience of someone entering, um, you know, entering prison here in the United States, um, how you see their experience changing, what are the resources uh, or the constellation of resources that would be brought to bear? Because, I mean, right now we're basically talking about a process of warehousing people in a system that is um, not restorative um, and and it's overcrowded, and all we keep doing is building 
you know, newer and better prisons to keep them increasingly segregated from one another. And so talk with us about, like, how do we get from where we are to this vision of restorative justice and a process that would actually produce different outcomes? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, um, like our prison systems, they're not, and we can talk about tough on crime, but imprisonment isn't helping the people who are incarcerated and it's not helping our communities. It's not making them more safe. So, I mean, just going on on that, prisons are designed to control and strip away people's dignity, right? They're places of violence and violence breeds violence. So people who live in this culture, they become worse off um, when they are released. They're tagged with a criminal label that follows them. It's difficult for them to get jobs, find a place to live, and they probably haven't dealt with these underlying issues that contributed to the crime. And so they're coming from these isolated, violent cultures, entering into a world where people you know, don't accept them. And they, and they likely don't have very many relationships that they can rely upon you know, once they leave prison. And so I feel, I believe, kind of going to your point, that we need to reorient, prisons need to reorient themselves around the question about what does this person need to heal and to live productively within the community. And, and this question needs to drive a person's, you know, incarceration experience, that experience when they're in prison, and even plan for, even before a person starts prison. One of the beautiful models, and it's, it's, it would be foreign to us here in the U.S. because it's such a different system, but in Brazil, um, there's the APOC restorative prison model. It's Part of, you know, our prison fellowship affiliate now has been instrumental in spreading it there. And it's, it's a methodology that really, it sees crime, it's, the founder sees, saw it as crime, um, or calls crime as a tragic and violent refusal to love, right? Humans were made to love, and we're most fulfilled in, in being in relationship with other people and, and with God. And so the place where we should be taught to love is our families, but when our families fail to do that, it results in crime. And so the way the whole prison model is set up is really to teach people who are in prison to love themselves, each other, their families, and communities. Um, it treats prisoners with respect. There's no prison guards. It treats prisoners with respect. They've got keys to the prison. Um, and it's had a dramatic effect. They call the people recuperandos, um, which are people who are recovering from crime. So not even... Uh, you know, a prisoner. And so this whole idea and attitude change, not like that we can do that overnight here, but I feel like we can bring in these ideas and principles incrementally into our prison system to have a much better impact on, on the people who are incarcerated and our communities and families. All right, we're talking um, about restorative justice. Um, we're talking about um, resources available at restorativejustice.org. It's a completely different vision um, for how uh, those who are incarcerated um, might experience not just um, punishment for their crime, but a, a real life change, how, how prisons might actually become places where uh, people regain uh, their dignity, their, uh, understand themselves differently, understand the harm that they have done, and really grow um, as human beings, um, to re-enter society where uh, they might have healthy social relationships and um, 
restore things not only you know for themselves but their families and and then the communities where they have previously done harm so what does that look like um how might it happen what are the resources that need to be brought to bear we're going to continue our conversation with jonathan derby Um, you can find the resources we are talking about today at restorativejustice.org we'll be right back thanks for listening to the podcast of mornings with carmen as you know this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the faith radio network There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you Uh, Use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Restorative Justice is an initiative of Persian Fellowship International. We're talking with Jonathan Derby about it now. If you uh, if you go to the website and download the resources, one of the things you're going to find is um, uh, programs offered through Prison Fellowship that are delivered at the local level in culturally appropriate ways that work toward outcomes of long-term transformation and stability for prisoners. Jonathan, how about we talk about some of those? Um, talk talk sure. about, uh, you know, the, the tangible things that happen um, with and for those who are incarcerated to bring about the kinds of transformation you're, um, you're advocating? Yeah, I mean, around, around the world. So we have 110 national ministries that we partner with around the world, and they are the ones that are carrying out uh, these programs. But uh, really the idea is, is that, you know, we have first the prisoner's journey. And the idea there is, as we talked about in the first section, is really to help people who are incarcerated form new identities know Jesus, so they see themselves as God's beloved children rather than criminal, criminals or bad people. We also have the Sycamore Tree Project, which is kind of our, our, our signature restorative justice program. It's, it's focused on people who are incarcerated, but it's really the idea there is to help develop empathy um, in, within them um, for the, all the people that they've hurt, including their family members, and really to kind of teach them restorative justice principles and then it starts them on the journey to repairing harm. Um, you also talked about the importance of relationships with that, you know, people who are incarcerated, you know, have with people outside of prison because prison isolates people with, the, the, with their families, with churches. So we have the child's journey and that provides, you know, for, you know, the safety, health, education, spiritual care needs of children whose parents are incarcerated, whose loved one is incar- incarcerated but it also connects them with their incarcerated parents. And all of our programs, they connect and foster those strong relationships between people who are incarcerated along with volunteers, churches. Um, so prisoners, when they, you know, when they leave prison, they can rely upon these you know, positive relationships rather than returning to unhealthy relationships that might have contributed 
to their offending behavior to begin with. So these are our main programs. And really, I think the church is so core in this work. And I think even, I mean, obviously within ourselves as Christians, but the church, we really need to sensitize ourselves to the needs of people who are incarcerated, you know, starting in prison, but especially as they leave prison, learning to really embrace and welcome them, um, because it's so hard as they transition back into the community with the obstacles that they face. So talk with us, um, Jonathan, about, um, I mean, how you would encourage us. Um, most of the people listening right now are not incarcerated. I actually do know that we have some incarcerated folks listening right now. Um, one person who is, you know, he's never going to leave the prison system. He's going to be there for the rest of his life. Um, talk with us, first of all, about a vision of ministry for him in the in the prison context. And then also talk with those of us on the outside. Um, how How might we change the way we feel and think about those who have been formerly incarcerated and actually help them integrate into our communities of faith and into our communities when they are released. Yeah, I mean, regarding the first one, I, 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 you know, I feel like, um, you know, the, the work that people who are incarcerated, I mean, you know, first there's going to be the, the change, just the developing the relationship with, with God and with Jesus, but more, you know, there's, there's um, there's such a need for peace, even within the prison context. Prisons are also communities. And so having restored this, a restorative mindset, more of a healing mindset, um, is very important with relationships with people who are other people who are imprisoned, with prison officials. And so even in our studies that we've done on the prisoner's journey, and then other studies um, around the world with the Sycamore Tree Project, our work changes prison cultures to make them more peaceful. So for people who are incarcerated, just just to know and understand that truly, you know, they are not defined by their worst acts, but they are God's beloved children. Um, and to take this as a as a as a call into the the prison. Um, I think outside for for the church for us, we need to sensitize ourselves by. Um, Oh, (laughs) that's okay. Jonathan, hey, we totally get it. And um, we're about out of time anyway. So why don't you take care of what you need to at home? Thank you so much um, for joining us today. We love the vision that you're casting, restorativejustice.org. We're going to direct people there. Um, And we certainly appreciate all that's going on in and through the Ministry of Prison Fellowship. That's Jonathan Derby. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, connecting the dots um, here between some of the conversations that we have had uh, today, um, if if those who are incarcerated is the is the place where God is um, calling you to not only pray but also serve, prison fellowship is a great ministry to engage with. Um, I get it. Those of you who are texting in, um, that you know doesn't seem like Jonathan gets it in terms of. Um, what's going on uh, with fear, fear in the culture? Um, how does he feel about early release programs, repeat offenders, people who don't want to be transformed? Yeah, I totally, I totally get um, 
the challenge that we're facing as a culture in relationship to crime. Um, I am acutely aware um, of it and distressed by it. And so, um, you know, we have had guests who in the past um, who've talked about policing and the challenge that uh, police officers face now and law enforcement officers. And so uh, we have a problem. I mean, like I, I think we should be able to talk freely about the challenges that we're facing and the broken system that we have. Um, and then I guess I'm also hopeful that we will have creative solutions um, to the problems that we face and not just suggest that we can continue locking up uh, a greater and greater percentage of people and not actually offering them um, anything restorative and redemptive while they are incarcerated. I am looking for those who are incarcerated to have a different experience so that we have different outcomes. Um, and so fresh ideas related to this that would produce transformation, um, certainly, uh, you know, appreciate. If you got ideas about it, you know, great stuff going on where you are, you know, pass them along. You can text me 877-933-2484. All right, um, one more thing today, and it is, uh, it's just a conversation about um, who we are and what we're doing here together. So um, many of you have uh, texted in things that are going on in your life, prayer concerns and challenges. And so I want to um, just spend a minute knitting us together as a community because we're here and I know that you can't, you know, see everybody else who's here. Um, but you and I are in this together and we are in this together with a wide um, community of believers. And all of us have um, personal and individual challenges facing us today. And so let me invite you into the concerns being raised by others. Um, Rick has reached a place of desperation in his life. And so let's be praying for Rick today that God would um, bring the resources that he needs to bear on his particular situation. Um, we got a mom um, who has a daughter who has been incarcerated, is dealing with mental health issues and also addiction issues. She doesn't really know where she is right now. Um, and so there's this uh, mom who, you know, knows where her daughter is when her daughter's in jail, but doesn't want her daughter in jail. But when her daughter's out of jail, she doesn't know where she is and she doesn't, um, you know, know if she's okay. We've got uh, people facing um, issues today related to their own personal health and the welfare of family members dealing with death and struggling in the valley of the shadow of the death of a loved one. Um, folks dealing with relational issues at home and dealing with um their own internal um, battles that uh, that they're facing. Um, I'll just call them internal demons. And so let's be praying ardently for one another today. Let me let me spend a minute praying for each of us and all of us now. Father God, we love you. We acknowledge and recognize your presence in our life, the power of your Holy Spirit to shine light into dark places right now to actually envelop us in your great love. And so, Father, I would ask that you would make yourself tangibly present right now, that we would feel you, that we would feel your loving arms around us, that we would feel the warmth of your spirit within us, and that we would feel the connection between us as a body of believers. Thank you for... Um, 
what you have done to reveal yourself to us in creation and through your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And thank you for your word um, delivered to us in the Old and New Testaments of the Scriptures. Invite us today, Father, to be more and more the people that you have created and called us and are redeeming us to be. And let us cooperate with your Holy Spirit today, working within us to bring us into greater conformity with your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Hey, friends, I'm praying for you. You pray for me today as well, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow for another episode of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.